Please, please turn also to the New Testament. The text for this morning is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. We'll begin reading from Ephesians 1, verse 1 through verse 14. This is the reading of God's holy word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons. Uh, Sorry, I lost my place here. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ." As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the, holy, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, the praise of his glory. May we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our loving God, we thank you, Father, for your compassion upon us as sinners. We thank you, Father, that you have given us this good news, that we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and this we receive by faith. Father, we pray that we might trust in you, that we might delight in your goodness. Father, we pray that we would give you thanks that in Jesus Christ we have the forgiveness of sins, that he has... Uh, that he has bore your wrath on our behalf, that he made the full payment for your justice. And Father, that in him we have eternal life, that we look forward because of his work to the redemption of our bodies. Father, we pray that we would think not only of the things that we want and need, but we would think about what is pleasing to you. Father, we pray that Jesus would be exalted in our lives. We pray, Father, that we would think about the things that are dear to you. And Father, we pray that if any are here who do not know you, we pray, Father, that you would draw them by your cords of love, that you would open eyes, and that you would turn hearts to you. Father, that we would all embrace the good news of the gospel, 
because Jesus indeed is eternal life. We pray, Father, that Christ our Lord would be exalted, and that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> have you ever had, uh, have you ever missed a, a payment for your credit card? This is, this is presuming that with, uh, with your credit card that you're not just making the minimum payment all the time because if you're making the minimum payment all the time on your credit card, in theory, you will never pay it off, right? It, it, will, it will be your, your credit card debt would just be forever there. So you, you make the payment, it come, comes to that, that, uh, that date in the month. And let's say you, you, you missed it, right? You, you, you forgot to send out your mail and your check. And then you call in. And you can ask the people, hey, listen, I, I'm very good about making my payments on time. Can you just kind of uh, waive this credit card fee, this, uh, this late penalty? And usually they'll say, yeah, no problem. We'll waive it for you. That's okay. And, and, and an on life goes. No big deal, right? But have you ever wondered, regarding a penalty, the penalty for sin, do we ever think in that same perspective, hey, God, you know, I realize that I've, I've broken your law, I've transgressed your word, I, I've, I've done things to displease you, but can we just take that penalty and just, just waive it? Waive it for me, just forget it, pass it up. And, and it's so easy for us to think that that's how things in life work. Hey, I can talk to my Visa, talk to my MasterCard or my, my Amex, and, and they can just say, we'll, we'll waive whatever penalty. But you realize that when we're dealing with God, we're dealing with a God of holiness and of justice. That he's not one who bends rules for those that he loves. That, that's, that's not how we're saved. He doesn't bend the rule for us in that those he loves are saved in that way. No, he doesn't. He sends his son, our Lord Jesus, to die on behalf of sinners. The penalty had to be paid. Somebody had to pay the penalty. It's not just he overlooked it. Even as we see in this passage here, Ephesians chapter 1, we have an introduction, verses 1 and 2, uh, basically who Paul is, who he's writing to, and then verses 3 to 14, you have this huge run-on sentence, right? I don't, I don't know how many words it is. It was several, several hundred words. Uh, for, for those of you children who are learning to write sentences, diagram sentences, this, this may not be the model for you in terms of not writing a run-on sentence. Here, he, he was speaking about the glories of salvation, about the glories of our God. Here, all persons of the Trinity are mentioned, right? In verses 3 through 6, he's speaking about the glory of the Father. Of the Father is the one who has made the grand plan. That he has sent his son. Verses 7 through 12. He speaks about the work of Jesus Christ. And then in verses 13 and 14. He speaks about the work of the Holy Spirit. Regarding our salvation. So in today's passage. Verses 7 and 8. We have this truth. By Christ's death and blood. He paid the ransom to free you. From the guilt and power of sin. By Christ's death and blood. He paid the ransom to free you from the guilt and power of sin. We'll look at this in four points. The first is the principle of redemption. The second, the price of redemption. Third, the product of redemption. And fourth, the pleasure of redemption. So the first point, the principle of redemption. 
Here we have that in the first part of verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. So in him, this is in Jesus, we have redemption through Jesus' blood. Earlier in chapter 1, in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And that every spiritual blessing includes uh, the things that he talks about in the remaining part of this, of this chapter 1, this chapter 1 section. He's speaking about here the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins that we have only through the perfect work of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> here, the idea of being found holy and blameless before him, in verse 4, this is regarding our sanctification, that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He's talking about how uh, his desire is that we would walk uprightly, that we would be blameless, uh, that we would be uh, giving up the worldly passions and desires, but instead that we would live upright, godly lives in Jesus Christ. So perhaps you're wondering, wait a minute, you're, you're talking about our the, the purity of our lives, the, the holy and blamelessness of our lives. What about our justification? Well, he addresses that later. He addresses that kind of, kind of right here. In him we have redemption through his blood. That it's by Christ's blood that we are justified. So we see where, where Paul's going with this. this. This idea of redemption, perhaps in common language, the closest we get to it is you think about uh, recycling, right? You, you think about recycling bottles, recycling cans. And you look at the side of your, your Coke bottle, right? The side of your Coke can, right? Or Pepsi can. You, you see that it says redemption value, meaning that you, you submit this can or this bottle that you get some kind of money back for it. Was it two and a half cents? Or maybe they don't do that anymore. It's been a while since I've looked at it. But the idea of redemption that's, that's the common usage. Yet regarding our salvation, we define it as it's the deliverance. The deliverance as the result of the payment of a ransom. Deliverance as the result of the payment of a ransom. And there, there we have some other terms regarding our salvation. And, and here, sometimes people wonder, hey, wait, wait a minute. Why, why are you using all these terms? Uh, and, you know, can it be that we just speak in common terms? Well, that's one way to think about it. But the Bible has many of these terms in there, so we have to understand them. We have to, we have to, uh, to, to be able to think about them because they convey certain meanings. That if someone were to learn a new language, that they would have to learn all kinds of vocabulary, thousands of words, in order to be able to speak and understand that language. So as far as someone becoming a new Christian, right, part of it is understanding the words that God has given us. When we think about this ransom, again, this is a word where we think about someone who is kidnapped, right? Someone has kidnapped a person, a child, and they require some kind of payment for this person to be set free. Well, essentially that's what a ransom is, a price paid for the release of someone from captivity, and the captivity is, is not, hey, someone has kidnapped us, but rather captivity is our own bondage, our own bondage to sin. Other words, you think about expiation. 
Expiation is the removal of guilt. And this is not removal of guilt, meaning I feel guilty, right? Not a sense of uh, the conscience weighing on you. It's removal of guilt of removing a penalty. That Psalm 103, verses, verse 12, speaks about this removal of that penalty or that guilt. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he, as in Jesus, removed our transgressions from us. There's also the matter of propitiation. This is the, the appeasement of God's wrath. So a propitiation refers to the appeasement of God's wrath in Romans 3, 23 to 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Jesus fixed our problem of God's wrath by bearing God's wrath on our behalf. He did so by dying on the cross. And it it wasn't so much the physical pain, the suffering, the physical suffering of the cross. There was much more than that. He bore the wrath of God. It It wasn't the physical suffering. Here, perhaps you're wondering, I'm using this word redemption. I'm using this word redemption about you, about me. The scriptures use it. In him we have redemption through his blood. Well, perhaps this should get us to ask this question. Wait, wait a minute. I'm not kidnapped. What's this redemption you're talking about, huh? Well, you think about Jesus' claim about himself. You think about people who started asking the right questions. John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders. If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You think think about redemption? Hey, I'm not kidnapped. I'm not being held against my will. The same question that these religious leaders are asking, wait a minute, this man Jesus is saying that we will be free. There's something that he's missing. We've never been enslaved by anyone. This is their exact response. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? There's something that the Jews have completely overlooked. I don't know if it's just pure self-deception that they were enslaved to the Egyptians for 400 or so years. Uh, What about to the Babylonians? What about... Whether they're enslaved or colonized by the Romans, the the bottom line is they weren't free. They were overlooking that. But this is not what Jesus is referring to. Jesus explains it this simply. In his response, John 8, 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free... You will be free indeed. This little statement that Jesus makes should catch our attention. I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave to sin. Have you ever had the situation where you're in a tense meeting? 
Your, your anger comes out, words come out of your mouth, and afterwards you regret, oh boy, my anger came out and got the best of me, or my pride got the best of me. Uh, and you wonder what happened there. I can't believe I said those hurtful and hateful things. Well, is this just not the overflow of our heart coming out? This is what Jesus talks about, right? the overflow of your heart, your, your mouth speaks. This is the description about how, you think about a dog, a dog can't stop barking. Right here, you're trying to hide. You tell the dog, hey, listen, we're hiding. That means no noise, right? Uh, people are trying to capture us and kill us, so dog, don't bark. You can't stop barking. In the, in the same way, a slave of sin is someone who can't stop sinning. Well, it's, it's not as if we can say, hey, we can stop if we just choose not to. If we try hard enough, we can stop. We can't do that. This is, this is revealing to us our true condition. This is what redemption is. This is what, this is what our condition requires. We ask, why is it that someone would miss the free offer of the gospel? Well, there's many reasons why. The first, the primary one, is that there's no candid admission on your part or mine that you and I as sinners are under God's wrath and curse. The admission that we're even sinners. Hey, am I a sinner? What do you mean I'm a sinner? I've offended God? What are, what are you talking about? Or perhaps excusing in a way. Have you heard of this common one? Yeah, I'm a sinner, but so is everyone else. What, is that, what does that do? Right? Is, God, is God grading on some kind of a curve? That, that uh, hey, The bottom line is God is just, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and God is perfectly just to condemn every one of us. So just to say that, hey, everyone's a sinner, hey, we're all going to get the same thing, right? And it's not good. In Jesus Christ, you have redemption. That's the good news. So let's, let's not miss the free offer of the gospel in denying that we are sinners in need of God's mercy. So this is the principle of redemption. We have second, the price of redemption. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The price of redemption is Christ's shed blood. I don't want you to miss the value of his blood. It's not as if, it's not as if we needed just a few drops of Christ's donated blood. That Christ is not a is not a blood donor, right? It's not as if that uh, that we we had some operation and that we need a a pint of blood. Hey, Jesus, it's so kind of you. You you've given up a pint of your blood, uh, and and I don't know, was he would have been uh, type O, right? Type O is universal donor, right? Hey, Jesus, this is great. You you're this type O blood donor, and this is what the world needs. We just need another pint of blood. No, it's not that at all. We're not in need of blood, per se. We're in need of a perfect sacrifice, a just payment for our sins. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19, 
knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Hey, when we get to the end of the year, and I have some extra money, God, I'll give my excess to you. Is that good enough? No, it's not. All the money that Elon Musk has, all the money that Warren Buffett has, all the money that um, you know Bill Gates has, he owns it all. It all belongs to Jesus. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's not as if God is, is poor, that he needs some kind of payment. And if we think from the perspective of a petty God, this is, this is how pagans satisfy their gods, is that they give them these little trinkets, Right? They sacrifice these few animals, right? A hundred bulls. What good is that? The only thing of value is the perfect life of Jesus Christ. And it's symbolized, his life is symbolized by the blood that is shed. We read earlier there in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. It's not a pint of Christ's blood. It's his life that's required. And his life is symbolized by his blood. His blood is shed. Here, Jesus dies a particular death. And we ask... Why was Christ's death necessary? We have to explain this one. It's not as if Christ, Christ's death was necessary because God in some way was duty-bound to send his only begotten son. God wasn't obligated to send Jesus. Jesus wasn't obligated to die because somehow he's, we, he owes it to us. To give us his precious son. There's, there's no duty that way. But if we're saying, and we are saying here, that God desires a people of his very own. That he has set apart people, his beloved, to righteousness. That we might be a holy people. Then the sacrifice of Jesus was necessary. It was necessary to purify a people of his very own. We think about Christ's death. It was first a substitutionary death. Christ had to die in your place, in my place. So when he died on the cross, we don't see that as just another random person dying. He was dying for a particular people. He was dying in your place and in my place. He was dying in the place of the people who would trust in him. This was also a penal death. Penal. We think about this, this word. A penal institution, right? A penal death. It means that he was dying to pay a penalty. He was dying to pay the ransom price to set you free. So when we think about the price of redemption, it is very, very costly. Our God is not one who can be paid off with trinkets and bribes. He owns all the wealth that you have. And it's not by silver or gold 
that the debt is paid. It's only by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It was his life traded for yours. This is the price of redemption. We have the third point, the product of redemption. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Here, the forgiveness of trespasses is mentioned as the product of redemption. Trespasses are literally, literally means a falling beside, a deviation from the path of truth and righteousness. Sins, then, are a trespass, a trespassing of God's holy law. You see these signs, private property, no trespassing. Well, here, God's law sets the, bar- the, the boundary. And when we sin, that we are trespassing from his righteous standard. Redemption brings freedom from guilt and from the power of sin. People tend to reason backwards. They start asking such questions. Why doesn't God bless me as I want? Why why am I not happy? why, Why is it that I'm not getting what I want in life? They reason backwards. So then they they start asking these questions. Wait a minute. Why why is it that uh, there's all these negative effects uh, regarding my relationships? Trust that's broken. Uh, Why can't I get ahead in life? What's what's holding me back? So they say, oh, wait a minute. It's because, you know, you're prideful. You keep on putting yourself first, right? You're selfish. Oh, man. See, that's... We get to the power, the power of sin. So they say, okay, well, we've got to deal with the power of sin. And, uh, and then and with God, okay, well, God's not happy with me, so what do I need to do to make him happy? So, see, this is thinking backwards. Your problem, my problem, and how do we fix the problem? But then when we go in that direction, we never get back far enough to where we need to go. It starts with what happened. We've offended God. We have to know about who God is. God who is holy and just and righteous. That there is no iniquity in God at all. There is no sin in him. We tend to think of God as altogether like us. You, you, you look at the, the Greek and Roman uh, pantheon right there. They're gods right there. They're capricious, right? Uh, they're immoral. And we tend to think of men tend to imagine gods according to their own character, according to their own nature. And whatever god you have, that will be how you live. You look at the worship of the Greek and the Roman gods and the immorality involved in it. So also, you think about our god, he is infinite in wisdom, in holiness, in justice, that these things describe our god. And we ask, how is it? How is it that life is made right with him? We think back to our happiness. We think back to what he has provided. He's provided Jesus as the penalty for our sins. This is an instance where Jesus, God is saying to us, listen, this penalty, this guilt of sin, I can't just overlook it. It's not something I can simply say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lift up that rug and shove it under there and 
and put it down gently, as, as if the sin were some kind of dust. Right? I'll just put it down gently so I don't, I don't blow the dust out, and, and nobody will know about it. You realize that rugs, rugs hide all kinds of dust underneath. I don't know if you, you pick up a rug. You wonder, how did it get there? And it's not as if I or someone else in your family is, is like sweeping dust under there. That's, that's what happens with the rug.